0: Hey, everyone, I'm Sally Abed, and this is Groundwork, a podcast about Palestinians and Israelis refusing to accept the status quo and working to change it. Groundwork is a joint production of New Israel Fund and the Alliance for Middle East Peace. If you're looking for our regular programming, our in-depth narrative stories, often in the field with the activists, check out our feed. This episode here is what we call Ground Report, it's part of our one-on-one series where I sit down with activists for a more straightforward interview. I get to have a conversation about who they are, what motivates them, and what kind of future they imagine for the region. My guest today is Michael Menkin. Michael is an anti-occupation activist, director of the Alliance Fellowship, and an orthodox religious Jew living in Jerusalem. The narrative around the fight for Israel's values within the Jewish community is often told as one with a stark divide, where secular left faces off against religious right. And it's true that oftentimes religious observance and right-wing politics in Israel do go hand in hand. But Michael challenges that narrative. He is both an Orthodox Jew and a left-wing activist. The rise of the protest movement in Israel has brought this societal tension front and center. We covered some of the protest movement in the first episode of this season. It's called No Such Thing as Partial Democracy. Check it out if you haven't already. But in this episode, we talk to Michael about how the religious community fits into all of this. Where is there space on the left for activists coming from the Orthodox Jewish community? And where do they fit in the struggle to end the occupation and fight for equality? I'm Seli Abed with my guest, Mikhail Menkin. This is Ground Report. Tell us a little bit about yourself, what you think is relevant.
1: Sure. Uh, So welcome to our house. Uh, My name is Mikhail Manikin. I live in Jerusalem and I'm an activist. I've been a political activist for the last two decades, roughly. Primarily, what interests me is uh, questions regarding Jewish Palestinian relations, both in the occupied territories and also civic and national inequality within 1948 Israel.
0: Okay. Yeah. Very, very (laughs) modest, uh, Michal. Yeah. (laughs) How do you think those things intersect you know your activism uh, against occupation and uh, you know religious values and and your community how do you navigate between them
1: for me and how i was educated they actually go quite easy together i'm not naive and i we recognize that like it's considered uh, for good reasons to be an odd position but from internally it's not like we're trying to Reconcile two things which don't fit. Uh, rather, I think my sort of desire for political national equality between uh, Jews and Palestinians, um, and also sort of the frustration against Jewish superiority in general, stems from my religious education and how I understand what you know Judaism teaches us. Yeah, but but, are,
0: but it's also
1: but <laughs> yes, yeah. but sociologically. You know, exactly. there's, um in Israel specifically, there's a um, connection between how right-wing you are and how religious you are. It's very sad for me as a religious person, but I don't see religion as being something that's inherently problematic. I see the challenge being with nationalist interpretation of religion and more about nationalism and a specific types of nationalism or power in general and group power being the problem. Maybe a shorthand of it it would be that um, religious people do nationalism religiously. It's more of nationalism seeping into religion than uh, than the other way around. I think for a lot of secular people in Israel, or people who are not in the Orthodox community, it's very easy to blame an other. A lot of times uh, people say, you know, the occupation is because of the settlers and you know uh, the country's moving right because of religion and while there's an element of that that's true it is also i think important to remind ourselves that you know both 1967 and also the tragedies within 1948 were not perpetuated by uh, and run by religious people but rather by by nationalism and nationalist ideology now again i'm not suggesting that you know there's no problem obviously we, i operate within this community so i'm aware of the challenges but i think it's it's a bit more complex in saying you know there's normal democracy and then there are the religious people who are trying to ruin it
0: we see that uh, during the protests right now there is really almost like um um an anti-religious agenda you know this secular um you know agenda which is uh, mistaken sometimes for the liberal democratic fight what do you think what's problematic about that kind of framing
1: so first, before I talk about what's problematic, I actually, I empathize with it to, to a degree. And that's, and I think, you know, we need to take ownership for that. It's not coming out of the blue and it's not just bigotry. I, I want to be self-critical about our own communities and also about our own tradition, in which, like any tradition, has a lot of challenges internally in it. And, you know, we have towards non-Jews, towards women, towards LGBT. There's a whole bunch of, um, you know, it's an it's, a, it's an old tradition. Um That being said, yes, there is a insular moment now among sort of like the liberal left camp in Israel, which is like raising the walls and closing the gates and sort of protecting their borders. And I think that's a problem for a lot of reasons. One, because I mean, most importantly, because demography can't be a threat.
0: Michael is referring to the idea that the growing populations of a minority group, in this case, religious Jews, pose an existential threat to the dominant social and cultural norms and they're growing at a much faster rate among the orthodox the average number of kids per family ranges from 5.7 to 6.8 kids for the secular family it's
1: 2.9 i think if you're coming from a humanistic position in demography you can't say there's a demographic threat about anything um more importantly i think it you know pushing out the problem outside of your sort of bubble is also problematic primarily to the poor
0: the religious community is also by and large much poorer than the secular community
1: so while I understand sort of secular frustration with uh, the changing of the elites in this country you know as an activist, my perspective is ultimately socialist um which means that there you know there needs to be a responsibility and equality towards everybody and and that means also lowering wealth not raising them yeah <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about a political memory that you have uh, from childhood, not from childhood, <laughs> you know, younger in the years, where you actually look back at it and you're like, this is where
1: I had a turning point. This is where my perception
0: of things
1: changed. I mean, you know, it's not, you know, there it's it, there aren't usually moments which are like epiphanies, which at least not for me. And, and also... Maybe I'll say I, I, I have the great fortune of growing up to religious uh, left parents. I will say that I was, when I was in, um, I was thinking about this recently, that like anybody who's religious and left and goes to religious education, you go to right-wing education because that's uh, what the religious systems are like in this country. And when I was in seventh grade, uh, I was like during the Oslo period. Um, and uh, people in, in school knew that I was uh, on the left. Uh, and I went to a friend's house to study for a test, and uh, his father came in and started yelling at me in English. He was uh, a, an American, uh, you know, Jewish American, and he, he was yelling at me that I'm a pinko commie. I had no idea <laughs> what those words I was very upsetting, but I had no idea... Um, with those words, no, I didn't understand what pink had anything to do with it. Uh, and, I didn't understand, and I didn't understand, you know, Kami. You know, and I went, I, I was very upset. I couldn't, you couldn't do it in a cell phone, but I called my dad to come pick me up. And like on one hand, he was um, very proud of me for like, you know, like being who I am. But he was also so sort of there's this very awkward sort of conversation about, um, you know, politics and about identity and about otherness. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's part of that understanding from, that you get from your surroundings that you're sort of a, a minority within your community and also the ability of the majority within your community to feel very comfortable to, to talk to you it is a bit of a challenge um i don't want to make uh, too big of a deal about it uh, as um on sort of the sp- privilege spectrum we're fine <laughs> like, there, are, there are a lot of people who are going through like serious material problems but i would say like communally it is something that you need to think about sort of you know where you want to be in where how, how vocal you want to be when you want to be with with who so it is a world that's um that you learn how to navigate over time based on your temperament and based on how you know Confrontational, you are. I'm thinking about you know, my three kids are very different. Uh, all of which, in those regards, like how much you want to speak, how much you don't want to speak. That and kind of thing. what
0: kind of schools are they attending? Also, growing up in Jerusalem in general
1: is uh, just tricky. Well, well, I will say that this area of like, South Jerusalem is, um, is, is, I think probably the most liberal area, not left, but liberal area, um, probably in the world for Orthodox Jewry. Um, uh, so they go to religious uh, Zionist education. But but here it's important to say that the problem is that there are four state-run uh, education systems.
0: In Israel, there are four tracks for state public education that people can choose from. Secular, religious, this is where Michael went and where he now sends his kids, Arab and ultra-Orthodox, called yeshivas.
1: The secular liberal left is focused, I think, too much only on their education system, not understanding that they're, you know, there needs to be work on civics, democracy, equality in all education systems. It's as true, primarily, I think, for teacher and student rights, but also in terms of the education system. So basically, um, our system is the religious What's called the religious Zionist education system is hyper politicized, very, very right wing, and there's nobody who would who would do anything on that issue because it's sort of not part of our camp. Like we, you made your choice, so you're outside of the sphere of um, of, of education, which I think is you know. It's frustrating as an individual, but I think more importantly, it's problematic politically because we're basically creating the problem that then we're frustrated about the growth of. Uh, instead of saying, like, so I think the cardinal sin here is the four different education systems uh, and the importance to you know build one.
0: It's similar. We're isolating the religious community yeah. as a left, yeah, um, and then we still complain about it and go and yeah, um, and protest against whole yeah. communities. I think you know a lot of people that would be listening to this um you know they wouldn't see why uh, everything that you do and your story and the otherness that you said all the you know I resonate with yeah. a lot yeah um, and people will be like, how, how come? <laughs> <laughs> and I think uh, we both come from a place where we always had that sense of otherness. I yeah. mean, as a Palestinian, but not only as a Palestinian, you know, as as someone who did have uh, political activism, where my parents, you know, really were completely conditioned not to and my sure. grandparents. So like they always I, I was fighting uh, my community. Uh, whether in that or whether on you know Mm anti-normalization or normalization uh, uh, accusations and stuff like that which i still do and i think um you know we're both trying to be very true to ourselves and our communities which are not always very accepting or understanding of what we do but we do that through also imposing uh, our part or our belonging to a new kind of group where where people don't really see us there. You know, people don't understand why I have to fight for housing or for minimum wage or for LGBTQ rights as a Palestinian. Like, why do you do that? (laughs) Makashur. Like, what does it have to do with it? And I think. you know, being able to impose ourselves in this new store, in this new yeah. political protagonist for for our community to see us and try to drag them with us and, you know, bring them with us. I really resonate with that. That's and I hope.
1: Amen to you as well. I mean, yeah, for sure. Well, I I wouldn't dis I mean, we, I think both of us wouldn't diss on otherness too much. I think it gives you a real it gives it gives you real privilege uh, a lot of times to be sort of other uh, um in that place of sort of outside or semi-outside it challenges it to some extent but also gives you a lot of um tools that i don't think people have from within
0: we're the ones navigating a lot of complexities oh, for and sure. it definitely for sure. brings um, I wouldn't solutions for anything. And... <laughs> for yeah. sure. okay last question and it's my favorite <laughs> okay. um you live here in Jerusalem. Let's imagine a day five years from now, 10 years from now, X years from now, where the things that you're working towards have actually been fulfilled. They, okay. uh, you actually achieved the okay. change you want to see. Sure. And take us into a day in Jerusalem <laughs> with your kids, with your family, with your work. What? How does it look
1: like? Um. So so you're saying like end of occupation, East Jerusalem is Palestinian. Everything. everything. Um the everything. sky's the limit. <laughs> well I don't know. This isn't a very progressive thing to say. when the occupation ends, God willing. It's not it ended. But when it ended. It ended. It
0: ended. No, let's let's take that. But there but
1: they're always there always prob you know, there are always challenges. It's not like mm-hmm. after it ends, like the the Messiah comes. Um, maybe. <laughs> but uh but I think so long as you're living in a world with people with power, so there are you know people without it, and then the question is, how do you um, sort of place yourself within that? And, and you know, it's Jews here, we're very lucky because we're the ones with power, and there's something which is sort of not even um uh, natural about the position of the left- wing Jew in this country who wants to get rid of what he has. It's all there's always going to be you know, there's, there's always problems. Yeah, <laughs> there's, yeah. But
0: so- it, I, I, one thing that strikes me right now that you said is that you, uh, you know, the Israeli leftists would want to relinquish, uh, you know, some kind of privileges, which well, is maybe some. <laughs> which is true in many ways. But, you know, you did mention socialist, you know, yeah. approach to these things. And I don't see it that way as a Palestinian, Uh-oh. you know, I can't imagine how you know, a a Haredi guy from from Nebrak or an Ethiopian guy from Rehovot or a Mizrahi guy from Petah Tikva are relinquishing any kind of privilege. There are plenty of minority Jewish communities in Israel, like the Mizrahi or Ethiopian Jews. And I wanted to point out that we need to start rethinking the way we talk about the left so that it also includes people with less privilege who have interest in the same types of changes we are calling for. It's just hard for me to come to him and be like, liberate me, relinquish no, your privilege, I, I, I you know?
1: I no, I very much accept that point. And perhaps I was automatically assuming when yeah. I said left, I automatically assumed a certain type of archetype, like yeah. a, you know, like a upper middle class, Ashkinazia, and so on. So I so I accept that point for sure. But I will say that, you know, that that and and it is important for me to to push on this point. Um um primarily specifically because of the community of which I am which I think like within orthodox communities I think there is an openness to talk about internal jewish poverty in a different way and that's why it's always important for me to remind to remind myself sort of the forgotten dynamic within the jewish tradition especially in a city like jerusalem which is um you know we have this saying that people always throw out in um in in hebrew of which is the poor of your city come first and they, a lot of times they say that um as a, as a sort of like an insert, like a tribal thing. Like first we take care of our own, but you know, my city, uh, the poorer of my city are are not um, are are either ultra orthodox or are, um, and they need to come first. So um, I think that's sort of I They're guess the yeah. most
0: underrepresented for sure, for sure, um, yeah. in different ways. Yeah, y- you still didn't give me a day. I it's hard <laughs> it's hard we I think it's so hard for us I, to imagine especially I think in here it's like the epicenter yeah. right of the whole thing so imagining the change so I in will Jerusalem say
1: something I think there is um if there's anything that's if it's exciting and hopeful to look forward to is the yeah you know is the tremendous openness which can be created to sort of um, like cultural cross cross border, let's call it cultural and religious and political conversation. If I look at sort of the texts that um, I care about um, in terms that define my Jewish tradition, my activist tradition, that were written in the Middle Ages or whatever, a lot of them were influenced by you know Islamic culture and Christian culture. So if something that I'm looking forward to seriously is being able to have. Like a conversation about faith or about politics after this is over. And it's important to do it after this is over because we can have a conversation with another when our when our boot is on their neck, you know. So so first needs to come equality and then needs to happen this sort of cross cultural conversation, I think.
0: Amin <laughs> um, Thank you so much, Michael. I really appreciate it. Thank you. So that was my conversation with Michael. And uh, before we end the episode, I did want to share a few thoughts. My conversation with Michael was really very special in a sense that, you know, we do come from two communities that are usually seen as unlikely alliances or as as two groups that are probably on the both, you know, on the different ends of the spectrum uh, in Israeli society. And it was very, very uh, interesting for me to be able to really empathize with with his experience uh, in the left for me as a Palestinian uh, woman and for him as an Orthodox. Uh, a Jewish men um, you know starting way back at the beginning of the year we saw hundreds of thousands of people organizing in Tel Aviv marching demonstrating in the streets and I think uh, really uh, you know these uh, uh, demonstrations are really uh, opening up and should open up a conversation about the Israeli left and the new Israeli left uh, that we want to see and who's welcome who's allowed to participate and who is actually is supposed to be part uh, of the israeli left Uh, because at the end of the day whose problems are we addressing we will be back with our regular program in two weeks so please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts we need your help if you found what you just heard meaningful if you think this kind of reporting is important then please take a few seconds right now and rate us and give us a review on whatever platform you're using to listen. It will go a long way to help us get the word out. Groundwork is created and produced by Dina Kraft and Yoshi Fields. The ground report is reported by me, Sally Abed, with content and audio editing by Yoshi. Yoshi also scored the piece. Additional scoring by Matan Fields. Additional content editing by Elisheva Goldberg and Nick Acosta. Art and design by Nick Acosta. The show is a joint production of New Israel Fund and the Alliance for Middle East Peace. New Israel Fund is the premier funder and organizer of progressive Israeli civil society, with over 300 million dollars from tens of thousands of people to hundreds of organizations working for change on the ground for over 40 years. The Alliance for Middle East Peace is the largest and fastest growing network of Palestinian and Israeli peace builders. You can learn more about them in their website in nif.org and almep.org. And you can learn more about our show at their websites or at groundworkpodcast.com. Our theme music is by System Ali, a multilingual binational hip-hop group whose cultural activity is deeply rooted in the communities where they work. Additional music comes from Blue Dot Sessions. Until next time,
1: shukran al المتابعه